What's up, everyone? This is episode number 97 of the Wax Museum Podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. I want to start off by thanking everyone that tuned in to last week's show, where I chatted with Kyle, a.k.a. Clips and Vols, about Clippers cards, uh, WNBA, and Com C, among other things. And um, I'll tell you what, I don't always agree with him when it comes to Paul George, but otherwise, Kyle is one smart dude. Um, Sunday afternoon, he messaged me, and of course, we're all knee-deep in NFL playoff coverage, and he said something like, Here's an example of what I was talking about on your show. Luca is out tonight, so I'm buying cheap Jalen Brunson cards and raising the prices by a small percentage. Well, lo and behold, Brunson scores 31. Kyle sends me screenshots the next day of all the sales, so um, I figure all of that will accumulate over time, and he'll end up with a nice uh, Sam Cassell or Danny Manning. Um, anyway, thanks again to Kyle for coming on the show. If you haven't checked that one out yet, I encourage you to get that one queued up and ready for when you're done with this one. Um, speaking of today's show, I've got a couple topics lined up for you. I'm going to give a little update about the fake BGS slab scandal. After that, I'm going to talk about some recent mail. And then finally, I'm going to close today's show with a listener mailbag segment. Okay. So first, I want to give an update on the fake BGS slab scandal. Um, I've talked about this previously. We have some more information now. Um, there was a thread on the blowout forums that included a couple of Luca cards and a Zion card, including the first serial numbered card I've seen in a fake slab, which was one of the Lucas. I was going to summarize that for you, but after I read that, um, the Instagram account Card Porn, which I've, I've talked about them before, they reached out to me with an update of their own. And for those of you that don't know, they seem to be really spearheading this whole thing. They've been vigilant and compiling information and tagging BGS and letting them know that Beckett's apparent inactivity regarding the whole situation is inexcusable. Um, so they sent me an update and, you know, I told them at the time, I said, look, I'm not trying to um, break news as much as I am. I'm just trying to keep this story going. So I wanted to be able to share um, their post and because I want to try and use whatever platform I have to better the hobby in some way. So I asked if I could read their information. I told them, I said, look, I, you know, I'd like to read some of it word for word. Um, I'm not trying to steal anything. And they were more than happy to let me do so. So um, I will say, though, if you do have time, check out their account, give them a follow and study the visuals that accompany this information. So um they noted that it's been nearly two months since BGS made their one and only comment in response to the fake slab scandal. And I talked about that in episode 90, but you might remember that that was the response where they encouraged customers to look closely and buy wisely. Um, since that time, we've learned a number of things. And as I said earlier, I'm going to read these from that card porn account post. So um, here they are. Here are the eight things that we've learned. Number one, they said... We have identified 57 fake slabs offered for sale on eBay, Facebook Marketplace, and Instagram. There are likely many more. The market cap of the fake slabs is close to half a million dollars. Number two, nobody is immune to selling fake BGS slabs. We've seen them for sale by large consignment sellers like Probstein and DC Sports 87, 
but also other small and large sellers. The fake slabs have likely been in circulation for some time and may have changed hands several times. Number three, we've uh, where we've found fake slabs and notified the sellers about them, most have quickly removed them from sale. So props to DC Sports 87 and Probstein for doing this promptly. Others have ignored us or stuck their head in the sand and have done nothing. Not much we can do about those guys. Number four, as far as we can tell, the cards encapsulated in the fake slabs are real, but are in far worse condition than the grade shown on the fake slab. Number five, the cards encapsulated in the, in the fake slabs have all been modern uh, Panini Prism cards, which they say NBA and soccer cards. However, there could be other sports and non-sports cards in fake slabs as well. Number six, the fake slabs we found to date have been the thinner non-autographed slabs. We have not seen any fake slabs containing auto cards or thicker cards. Number seven, we put out a lot of information on how to spot fake slabs, but the differences are only minor, so the fakers will be able to easily fix these on their next round of fakes. And then number eight, fake BGS slabs are much more prevalent than we first thought. We are only a small team yet have found 57 fake slabs on the market. We are not actively searching eBay for fakes, and we are sure we'd find many more if we did. Conclusion, Beckett needs to act swiftly and urgently. If they don't, they will lose all hobby confidence and fall even further behind PSA. We want a competitive grading market. Okay, so that was all a, a big post from the account card porn. And for what it's worth, if it's even worth anything, I put my stamp of approval on that. I value the information that they've compiled here. I wanted to make sure you guys had it. A lot of you have been sending me questions about slabs, and I'll, I'll usually refer you to their account because they have all the information in one spot. Um, they do a much better job of summarizing summarizing it than I have. And um, one thing I will add, though, is that since that post, and this is not their fault, but since that post, um, some people on Blowout have posted a fake Giannis Prism slab and a fake LeBron Topps Chrome Rookie slab. So um, it's starting to look like this thing could be a lot bigger than we realize. So uh, once again, thanks to the Card Porn account, and hopefully we can put some pressure on BGS to bring some resolution to the situation, whatever that might look like. Okay, let's talk about mail. <laughs> On a slightly um, happier note here, let's talk about mail. Um, I didn't do a mail segment last week, so I have three or four things that I'd like to talk about. Uh, the first piece of mail that I want to discuss is is not actually a card, but it's um, a little device, I guess you could say, called the Grademaster tool. And um, yeah, I know, me using a Grademaster tool. Well, uh, Nick, the creator of the tool, messaged me a week or two ago, and he said something to the effect of, hey, I really enjoy your show. I know you don't do a lot of grading, but I'd like to send you a copy of my Grademaster tool if you're interested in owning one. And I said, look, you know, I'm very cautious when it comes to any sort of product callouts. I don't want to make that a regular thing. Um, I said, you know what, if, if you understand that, knowing, you know, I might not even talk about it or whatever, if you really want to send it, feel free to do so, send at your own risk. Um, and he did. And I appreciated his approach because I could tell he actually listens to the show. Um, I've had other products or groups approach me before, and it was very clear in their approach that they weren't listeners. But um, anyway, so I got this thing in the mail, and it's a, a little clear tool that you can put over a card to determine the centering of a card. And, and to me, centering is the most objective component of grading. So, you know, I, I 
looked at this thing and I thought, wow, yeah, this is actually a, a practical little tool, um, could help some people before they send in. And, and I, then I realized after the fact that I have a friend that uses this same tool and he, he's actually shown it to me before. So, um, I don't intend to do a lot of grading in the near future, but, um, if I do, I think this will be nice to have. So, you know, just want to pass that along because it is something that, um, I actually think could be practical for you guys. So, um, thank you to Nick at Grademaster. The next piece of mail I want to talk about is something that I've already showed off on social media this week. It is a 2018-2019 Panini Optic Blue Rookie of Aaron Holiday, number to 49. And uh, you guys have heard me talk about the gold copy that I purchased from Probstein a while back that had the giant dent in it that I sent back. Um, thought maybe I would even re-win it if, if I changed my mind. I didn't win it back. Um, I haven't been able to track another gold down since then, but I did grab an orange and now I have the blue. And with there being so many parallels out there, I try to limit my purchases to the ones that actually look good um, for Pacers players. You know, like I'm not buying a lot of the pink stuff um, or the lime green stuff or anything like that. Well, um, blue is my favorite color and 2018 blue is bold. It's a little darker. It works awesome with Pacers players. Um, it's, it's kind of a nice little bonus because it's relatively scarce as well. And, um, I spent a good five minutes or so trying to get a good picture of this thing, um, because it looks so good in person. So please look at the picture cause I spent too long on it. Um, but I wanted the picture to be as representative of the card as possible. So hopefully I did well with that. So, um, overall this one cost me less than $20 shipped. Someone asked me about Aaron Holiday for today's mailbag, so I won't say much about him now and, and what I think of him as a player now, but um, I understand that he's no Luka, but if you look at that price difference between the two for the blue parallel, um, you know I was very happy that I could get my team's player for $20. Um, the final two pieces of mail that I'd like to talk about are from the same set, so I'm going to treat them as one. I purchased 2019-2020 um, Immaculate, Veteran patch autos numbered to 25 of Miles Turner and Danny Granger, right? So Pacers from two different eras. That was kind of cool. They're in the same set. Um, actually, I really love this set. There are five Pacers total, and I think I'm going to try and grab them all. Uh, actually, there's four in the veteran part, but then Goga has one that looks like it's the same design as well. So uh, the design, though, is just really classy. These are horizontal cards with an acetate surface, on the left side of each card is a big patch piece, which always appeals to me. And then the player is depicted on the right side. Underneath the player, there's a decent sized spot for an on-card auto. Um, I don't always do a lot of autograph cards, but on the acetate combined with the patch, it just looked so good. Um, in addition to the design itself, there's something that Panini did really well here. And I'll be honest, I don't even know if it was intentional, but... Uh, I'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt this time. You know, if it was, kudos. Um, every patch piece I've seen in this set matches the jersey that the player is wearing on the card. If that doesn't make a lot of sense, um, just know this is something that's bugged me a lot in the past with patches, especially for players like Grant Hill or Joe Dumars. If you got some free time, Go look those guys up on eBay. See what their patches look like. Because Panini would often put a, a nice big teal patch on the card, but then the picture has them sporting their blue and red jerseys. And even, you know, it looks like it's from another team, but it's not. It just clashes. 
But um, on these cards that I purchased, Danny Granger's wearing a white home jersey with a blue nameplate. Likewise, the window includes a white jersey and a blue nameplate piece, part of the G, actually. Uh, Miles is wearing the current Navy version of the Pacers jersey, and then the card features a Navy jersey with a gold nameplate. And yes, I love nameplate uh, pieces. So um, I know when it comes to card aesthetics, we all have different preferences. And this set features so many components that I like. So if you haven't seen the pictures of these that I shared on social media, you might have to look back at last week, but make sure and check those out. And like I said, I plan to go for the rest of the Pacers as well. All right. Before I move into your questions from this past week, I want to take a moment to tell you a little bit about Fanatics. As you guys know, there are costs that go into running a podcast, so I signed up for their affiliate program. So whether you want a Trey Young signed basketball, a New Jersey, or any other form of of new NBA gear, there's a good chance that Fanatics has it. So if you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.tinyurl.com slash WMPod and click the Fanatics logo at the top. Shop as planned in the Wax Museum podcast gets a small commission in the process. It's a win-win. Once again, that's www.tinyurl.com slash WMPod. This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum podcast. Boom, baby! Okay, today's main segment is something that I really enjoy, but I try not to overdo the whole mailbag thing. I don't want to just rely on it all the time. Um, In fact, this is only the second one that I've ever done, but I really like it. I'd probably, you know, honestly, I wouldn't mind doing one every week, but um, I try to give you some variety because um, I like it, though, because it gives me a chance to interact with more of you and also touch on a number of topics in a short amount of time. And I know I won't get to all of the questions, but I'll try to get a lot to a lot of them. Some of the answers will, of course, be longer than others. Um, and then also I've grouped them into three main categories. So there are questions about um, me or Indiana, questions about the current card market, and then I'll close with some of the more, um, I guess you could say, collection or collector-oriented questions. All right, um, question number one comes from Greg, also known as 727 Sports Cards on Instagram. He said, when will you do a podcast that will be live? And of course, I'm not going to do it, but he stretched the word out like um, some of you have seen a a certain person do on Instagram. Um, You know, I've never really considered a live show before. I know there were some guys that were doing uh, live reaction shows to some of the big card auctions at some point. Um, I know 90s b-ball cards, Chris at House of Jordans. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. You know, I would I would definitely consider a live show if there was an event or an occasion that would work well for me. Um, I don't do a lot of video just in general. And honestly, I can't think of any such occasion at the moment, but um, I won't rule it out. All right, the next question comes from IG user Slang and Rocks PC. He said, who is the greatest person to come out of French Lick, Indiana? Larry Bird or Jerry Reynolds? Um, I'm going to give this question more time than it deserves because um, I, I actually really appreciated this because the person who asked it, he's a fellow team collector. He's got the best Sacramento Kings collection I've ever seen. And... Um, you know, the question sounds kind of ludicrous at the start, but 
you know what, for those of you that don't know Jerry Reynolds, he is a Sacramento legend. Um, he actually, he just retired after spending 35 years with the team in some capacity. I think he started as an assistant coach. Um, he served as head coach, became general manager, director, player personnel, and then he was on King's broadcast for years. Um, also, uh, you know, I'll add he was GM for the Sacramento Monarchs of the WNBA. Um, I've had the NBA League Pass since 2004, so I would say I know him best for his work on TV. Him and Grant used to be calling the games, but uh, you know his overall body of work is impressive. With all of that being said, my answer to the original question, who is the greatest person to come out of French Lick, Indiana? Nice try. It's Larry Legend. All right, question number three comes from Instagram user GeechQuestCards, which you've heard him on this show before. His name is Evan. Evan asks, would you rather have a Jeff Foster logo man or the nicest game-worn Pacers patch from the 2000 finals in existence? Okay, Um, the quick and maybe surprising answer here is that I'd rather have the finals patch. And I've talked about this lone patch, this lone NBA finals patch set for the Pacers from um, 2000-2001 Topps Chrome before. It was called Final Piece. Each patch was numbered to 25 And then the refractor parallel was numbered to 10. So each player only had 35 total prime pieces from an entire NBA Finals game-worn jersey. So I know there are some conspiracy theorists out there, but I do believe they had separate jerseys for everyone. Um, And Topps didn't make any dedicated Logoman cards until their 2002-2003 products. So that means all of those Logoman patches... And NBA Finals, Larry O'Brien Trophy patches went unused. I'm assuming they were thrown away, actually. Um, I know I've read that Upper Deck threw away a lot of their prime pieces in the late 90s because they were too thick. Um, They didn't work in the thin cards, although these tops cards were very uh, 130 point. And, um, you know, even back in the late 90s, collectors weren't focused on patches and... To me, it's it's insane that Tops would seemingly throw away all this final stuff. You know, they're incredible pieces of history, but that's just kind of how things went then. So um, I've actually considered buying one of the souvenir 2000 NBA Finals logo patches on eBay to see if a custom card maker um, could make me a nice Reggie Miller card out of it, but I never got around to it. So uh, I figure it'd be pretty difficult to do. But anyway, I'd rather have the, the nicest finals patch ever Um, number four the next question and this is the last Pacers related question it comes from M. Hosserman Um, he said I have been enjoying collecting Aaron Holiday cards recently because I'm a UCLA fan he is tough to collect because he's not in a lot of sets what are your thoughts on him recently well um, I've always been a little torn on Aaron Holiday because I felt like he was a good scorer but not a good passer at all and because of his size, I think. well, also I think size contributes to the um, struggling to pass. Because of his size, he's always going to be slotted as a point guard. And while his passing has improved a little bit, um, you know, he's also a pretty good three-point shooter. But I never felt like he was a great fit in Nate, Nate McMillan's system. And at the same time, um, I don't think Nate gave him much of a chance until he had no choice but to play him. So heading into this season... I was pretty optimistic about Aaron's growth as a player because there's a coaching change and the new Nate has said that he really wants to run and and really up the pace. Aaron's great in the open court. Um, 
But right now, there are a lot of people that need touches in Indiana. You got Malcolm Brogdon, you got Victor Oladipo, um, Domas, of course, and to a lesser extent, Miles. Um, now, once TJ Warren comes back in about a month or so, I'd, I'd like to see Aaron kind of be that spark off the bench, and maybe he will get more touches. Um, but, you know, Jeremy Lamb should be back around that time, too, so who knows? But all in all, I like Aaron. I'm excited to see him grow as an NBA player, but. Until they move someone, I'm not sure he's really going to fit in Indiana. And I also don't think they need to move any players for his sake. Okay, Um, the next few questions deal with the current NBA market. So question number five comes from Darth Brizzo. And he asks, what do you think would happen to interest in the broader NBA card market if over the next few years, Luka proved to be a consistent all-star but not a generational talent destined to end up on the all-time short list. I guess another way to ask it is, how much of the current frenzy over basketball cards in general do you think is due, at least in part, to people's excitement and feeling like with Luka, they're getting in on a Mount Goatmore talent, I like that phrase, um, on the relative ground floor? Well, um, I know you ask about Luka specifically, and I will cycle this back around to him. But um, I want to talk about Zion first because I was talking with someone about Zion cards the other day. As we all know, there's a lot of excitement around him still. Just for the record, I enjoy watching Zion play. Um, But what happens if Zion ends up with the same numbers as a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge? Okay, so LaMarcus is in his 15th season. His career averages are uh, 19.5 points per game and 8.3 rebounds per game. He's a seven-time All-Star. He's five-time All-NBA. And when it comes to the hobby, he's irrelevant. Now, um, I know Zion's NBA story and his hobby story are not the same as LaMarcus Aldridge. I'm not even suggesting that he's on that trajectory. I'm just saying that people seem a lot more excited about potential than they are results. And we're putting these guys on a pedestal where there are just some really unrealistic expectations. I'm not saying Luca will never get there. Um, I just think it's um, the, we're expecting a lot from them very early. And a lot of these guys could have awesome NBA careers and they're still going to disappoint people in the hobby world. So to bring it back around to Luca, I think the hobby is going to take a hard look at some of these top guys in the next couple of years. Um, if they fail to become a generational talent, as you laid out in your scenario, I think it's going to force people to temper their expectations about all young players. Um, And while things are booming right now, I think that could be good for everyone involved in the hobby. It might mean that less people get uh, burnt. You know, it might be better for hobby retention. I'm not saying, you know, I don't want to see people make less money necessarily. I just, I want to see people retained in the hobby. Um, and I want to see a, a growth model that follows that path. So we should all want to see growth in the hobby, but I think there needs to be a stable foundation underneath all of that. Okay, question number six comes from Curry Central 30 He said, after seeing the golden auctions go off for half a million dollars, how high do we think the Curry National Treasures RPA numbered to 99 and 25 will go? What about some of the other players, too? Um, I talked about the Curry sale a little in episode 94 when I was talking about the market and 
whether I thought things would trickle down or not. And I think that sale definitely raises the price of the base number to 99 in the gold parallel. Um, I'm not really a big fan of predictive pricing. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into these RPAs as well. How nice the patch is. Um, you know, is there some history with the card? Um, what's the grade? Um, the, you know, everything has to be considered. And I'm, I'm definitely not going to throw out any numbers, but I think we've seen enough evidence to say that these cards are on the rise. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the emergence of fractional ownership. And I think some of these groups might end up in a hot potato situation, but we're probably not there yet. We're still pretty early in this whole phase. Um, as for the other players, if they weren't already in the top tier, they probably aren't going to be affected. So I don't think my, not that you were asking about this guy, but I don't think my Tyler Hansborough RPA from that set is going to go up anytime soon. Um, DeMar DeRozan is completely irrelevant. I'm sorry. I know I was talking to a DeRozan collector just this week about that card. I'm sorry. Uh, Blake is pretty important to hobby history, but he doesn't have the same kind of market that he used to. Harden stuff has gotten pretty high. I know there's a few people that have mentioned to me that they're trying to liquidate that stuff after his recent, um, whatever you want to call them, shenanigans. But um, who knows? I, you know, I just want to emphasize here that these are my own opinions. And even conventional wisdom didn't mean much in 2020. So here's to another crazy year in the RPA market. Okay. Um, number seven, question seven comes from Joe Perot. He said, is NBA Vintage still undervalued? Well, I think it's certainly underappreciated. I don't know if I would say it's undervalued, but I think some of the older sets are a lot more scarce than people realize. And um, before things got real crazy, I had the opportunity or the choice to buy either a low-grade Wilt rookie or a low-grade Jordan rookie, and I chose Wilt. And I, I should add, I'm not super concerned about the financial side of it. Um, you know, I'd been reading some Wilt doc, um, some Wilt biographies, watching some documentaries, right? So I'm really into Wilt's history. I'm not going to say he's the greatest of all time or anything like that. Um, I just really like learning about Wilt. Um, I also felt there were a lot less Wilts out there, and I was more likely to stumble onto a Jordan. Not that that's going to happen, but it could. Um, then I was a wilt. So I, you know, I don't know the exact numbers of what either card have done price wise since then. I'm very happy with my decision. Um, you know, vintage, just remember that, um, not all of it's as liquid as people think. Okay. And, and that liquidity plays a lot into, um, what people are looking to get and what people are trying to move and invest in and so on and so on. Uh, number eight, question eight says, let's talk about digital cards and blockchain technology. Then this is, I'm sorry, this is from Nanaconda. And he said in parentheses, I think it's stupid, um, but I'm interested to hear your take. So um, I'm with you. I think digital cards are stupid. You know, who wants to collect JPEGs? And yes, I know it makes it easier to move cards when there are no actual physical counterparts. But at the same time, when there's no physical counterpart behind it to give it real value, you've got a problem. Um, now, as far as blockchain technology goes, I covered some of this in episode 44. It would have been an amazing technology to use to track high-end cards and high-end patches. And, you know, we could even use the card to track slabs now um, with this whole fake slab thing going on. Um, 
I think Panini really missed out on an opportunity to add value to their product in that way. So who knows though, maybe they'll circle back around to that concept when the market isn't as hot and they have to implement changes to try and stick around for the long run. You know, it won't be every year that they just get to print Zion cards nonstop. Um, Question number nine comes from the card messiah underscore 19. He said, thoughts on 60% of Panini's basketball product going to Asia and whether American, European, and Australian collectors are getting duped. Well, I'll be honest with you. I haven't seen those numbers, so I I don't really want to weigh in just yet. It could very well be true, but I, I haven't seen that. Um, my guess is Panini's going to sell the product to whoever wants to buy it. But if you have some numbers or some more details to expand your question, um, shoot me a, a message on social media. I'd be happy to chat about it. Okay, question 10 comes from Bobby Garcia 210 He says, how does the small collector get boxes and packs without paying 10 times the price? Well, um, first off, thank you for your question. Right now... Uh, you've got to put a lot of hard work in and you've got to have a lot of luck. And I'm not going to sit at the store forever. I haven't had much luck lately, so I haven't been ripping. And, um, you know, I know that's probably not the answer that you want to hear, but um, I would, however, encourage you to keep utilizing this time to try new things in the hobby. You know, buy collections, buy binders off of eBay, uh, make small trades, buy lots of cards on you know, wherever your local marketplace, um, try to find something to replace that same experience as best as you can. Um, I wish I had a better outlook for this situation, but that's just kind of the way things are right now. Okay. Question number 11 comes from Dre 87113. He said, um, do you think collectors could successfully band together to purchase only pre Panini raw cards to destroy the three-headed monster. And he describes the three-headed monster as number one, poor customer service by grading companies. Number two, unimaginative designs by a monopoly card manufacturer. And number three, retail hogs camping at Target and Walmart. All right, there's a lot to unpack here. And there's going to be some overlap in my answer. But first off, um, I think it would be near impossible to convince people to only buy pre-Panini. And quite frankly, I wouldn't participate in that either because you'd be cutting out over a decade's worth of new players to come into the league. And yes, um, Panini has done a lot of things that I like. You know, I'll be critical of them when I need to be, and I am often. They've done a lot of things that I like. Um, As for everything else, though, I think in a perfect world, and this is just me, um, kind of piecing things out and and trying to map things out for the future. I'm not saying this is actually what will happen, but in a perfect world, if grading becomes more efficient, I think we'll see a lot less worthless base submitted. Um, Because after a while, you know, if if everyone's getting their cards back quick, all of this base will will flood the market and it won't be worth sending in. Now, um, if that happens, then in turn, that might cause people to pump, pump the brakes a little bit when it comes to buying products. Because when everything isn't selling out, um, customers can be more selective and vote with their wallets. And I've asked the question before, how do you vote with your wallet when there's only one company? And you referenced the Monopoly yourself. Well, the best solution I found would be to buy the products that you think Panini did well. 
Um, now, the issue right now is that almost everything sells out. So um, with all of that being said, that whole process that I just laid out involves some major systemic changes that would take a really long time to play out. Um, you know, we know the the PSA sale I don't think is even finalized yet. I doubt they're going to be able to change ownership and, and fix everything in a year or fix everything in a year and a half. Um, and then it would take a year or so of people flooding the market with base cards for the next step to work itself out. On top of that, who knows what other factors would be pressing on the hobby. We certainly didn't expect some of the crazy stuff we saw in 2020. We had NBA deaths, we had pandemic, we had documentaries, we had stimulus checks. Um, so once again, my recommendation to everyone out there that's frustrated by the way the hobby is changing, hang in there, find ways to pivot and enjoy other aspects of the hobby and maybe things will once again start to resemble uh, what they used to. Who knows? Okay, question number 12 comes from DRC Collector um, from the Cardboard Illuminati podcast. And I really like this question. He said, what aspects of other sports cards would you like to see integrated into NBA cards? Okay, um, now I think this is a... A fitting question because I've learned some about football cards from their show, from Cardboard Illuminati. So um, what would I like to bring from other sports um, to NBA cards? So I'd really love Panini to um, put a picture of the source material on each veteran memorabilia card. And we saw that a lot back in the day with playoff on their baseball and their football cards. I mean, they would even do it for some of the, the regular jersey cards we haven't really seen that in basketball with the exception of um, the only one that I can think of is Top's Big Game, which I mentioned a few episodes ago. One set in all of in all of basketball cards, right? Um, so if Panini could do that, I think they could add a lot of value to their relic cards. Um, another thing I'd like to see would be, and this is not something people are probably expecting here, but coach relics. Um I know Panini had an old sport coat from Tom Landry that they were using in some of their sets. Thought that was awesome. Back in 2012, Leaf had a, a Vince Lombardi jacket they were cutting up. Um, you know, how cool would it be to have a piece of a coat from Red Auerbach? Or, you know, what about something from Pat Riley or Bill Jackson? Um, what would Spurs fans pay for a Popovich relic? You know, and they wouldn't even have to put these in every product, but they could sprinkle them in and, and they would be a fun little historical chase, I think. So thank you for that question, Nate. Um, all right. Number 13, like PG 13 comes from indie card guy on Twitter. And I only did that to torment him. Um, he said, what are some early Panini sets or inserts that you feel are underappreciated? Also Pacers in four, or will it take a fifth game? Well, if you can't tell, we're both very excited about this Pacers season, but, um, as far as underappreciated Panini sets, I've got several that come to mind. Um, the first thing, it's more of a general answer, but I would say anything that's game dated. Doesn't matter if that's NBA Combine Relics, Global Games, um, Christmas Day stuff, Court Kings game dated, Preferred Booklets, Innovation Stat Line, NBA Finals Game Worn, anything where you know exactly where it came from. You can pull up a clip and watch the player wearing it. You can attach it to a memory if you were there for that game or watching it from home at the time. I love game-dated stuff. Now, as far as insert sets, 
I think Evan did a great job outlining some of those in episode 52. I would probably pick a handful of those sets. I don't want to rehash all of that right now. Um, there were some cards that I asked him about, and he said they didn't really appeal to him, I think is what he said. Um, one of those in particular that comes to mind came from 2011-2012 Panini Past and Present. Now remember, we didn't get a lot of sets that season because of the lockout, but um, this set was called Changing Times. And just like the product as a whole, which was past and present, it had players from the past and present. And the background of the card was a textured basketball for whatever league or era the players played in, which I kind of like that. That was a nice little you know, touch. There's a lot of attention to detail. Now, the older NBA guys, their cards weren't as visually appealing, but um, you know, it's just the old NBA basketball. But the ABA cards from that set look awesome because they have that red, white, and blue ball in the background. Um, in fact, I sent a couple of these off in the mail to get signed. Unfortunately, they got really blurry over the years. Whatever they used to make the basketballs have texture kind of absorbed the ink, I guess. But, you know, that's not their fault. It, it was never meant to be an autograph set. Um, anyway, most of those can be had for a buck or two, and I think they're really cool cards that help tell the story of the NBA. And um, I will try and remember to put those up on social media at some point this week, just in case anyone wants to see what those look like. Okay, um, we've got just a couple of questions left. I ended up taking 15 for today's episode. So question 14, um, I'm actually going to combine a couple of questions. We had MC Basketball PC. He asked, how do you organize your collection? And then similarly, KPB Cards ask, what type of stuff do you think is worth putting in a binder versus keeping in top loaders or graded cases? Um, and then he added, I've been thinking of putting in low-end inserts into binders to hold on to and be able to look at. So um, how do I organize my collection? I think this answer changes every couple of months because I haven't, you know, as long as I've been doing this, I haven't really found one way that I like. Um, because I'd like to group cards by players, but I've also liked to group cards by team. I'd like to group cards by set, you know, and if you, you don't want three copies and some of them you can't even have three copies of, so that's not really doable. So, um, I haven't really found one way that I like, but I think I'm getting closer with each attempt. So, um, I have a lot of two row and three row boxes for cards in magnetics. So I've got some for pacers some for NBA Finals stuff, um, some for miscellaneous NBA stuff, some for NBA rookies. Um, those get kind of heavy, though, and I, I posted it on Twitter earlier this week. Um, I'm looking to buy something that they call a, a card penthouse for magnetics. Basically, it's like a cardboard housing unit that has a series of smaller boxes that pull out, and they can stand up straight in there. Um, it looks pretty cool, but they're about $60 online, and I don't know if I want to invest that much into it. Um, I did start putting rookies into a card house, just sleeved though, and labeling them by year, which that sounds really neat and organized, but it, it's, it's a major work in progress. I don't know if I'm even helping you with this answer here, but I'm kind of talking through what I've attempted lately. So um, another thing though that I've tried this year was to switch a lot of stuff to the Z folio binders. And, um, you know, the last question talked a little bit about binders. And in doing so, I solved multiple problems. Number one, it gives me an easy way to look through my cards. I got tired 
of moving boxes to thumb through cards. It'd have to be, it'd become like, oh, I want to look at this card. Well, I'll have to wait until the weekend. And that's kind of ridiculous. Or if you get it in a binder, you grab the binder off the shelf, you look at the cards you want to look at. Um, it also encourages me to chase more lower end stuff. Um, and it freed up a lot of top loaders. I hate buying supplies. And, you know, I've been able to harvest a lot of stuff from lots that I bought over the years. But I was also, I had a lot of top loaded cards that I ended up putting in binders. And I could use those top loaders elsewhere. So that's nice. Um, and then after talking with guys like Ryan, um, aka Mind Cycle Cards, and another listener named Caleb, I um, started a Pacers Refractor Binder. And this has been a lot of fun because it gives me something to chase all the way from 1996 to present day. And I, I'm just looking for the base refractors or the silver prism. So most of them are still attainable. But it gives me something cheap to dig for at shows. And it's a fun, you know, long-term stress-free project. Because, you know, it actually seems like a hobby and not a chore, right? If what you're doing seems like a chore, it's not a hobby. So... Um, anyway, a lot of my non-relic stuff is being transitioned to Z-Folio binders. I'd like to say they're already there, but it's a process. I wish I had considered that sooner, but better late than never. Okay, um, and then finally, question number 15 comes from Dars90Cards on Instagram. Um, which shout out to him. He sent me a nice Fred Jones rookie this week. But um, he asked, have you had any experiences chatting or trading with recently passed blowout member My USA Sets? Um, so for a little context here, there was a collector on the blowout forums. I think his real name was Bill, but his handle on the forums was My USA Sets. And he had been collecting basketball cards for decades. And he had a lot of good perspective on the market from years ago. He talked about the flea market scene, talked about the rise of the local card shop, um, and many other things. Well, um, he passed away in the last month. And you know, I, I figure I've interacted with him at some point on the forums. I think, you know, I have like seven thousand posts on there, but you know, I, I can't think of any direct exchanges, and I don't think we made any trades because he was more into doing sets, and I, you know, I don't do a lot of sets. Um, but recently someone made a tribute thread for him on the basketball forums. And, and I've really enjoyed reading that because a lot of people came forward and mentioned some of the things that he had done for them that nobody else knew about. You know, it was all behind the scenes, whether it was helping them with a set or sending cards to kids for no cost or including extra cards in any transaction. Um, he just seemed like a really good guy and I regret not um, interacting with him more. So um, his story, though, is is a good reminder that there are a lot of good people in this hobby and a lot of good stuff happens behind the scenes. So if any of you were ever able to interact with him or if you enjoyed reading any of his posts, I encourage you in that same spirit of generosity to reach out to someone in the hobby this week, try to make a connection of some type. Um, I don't think you'll regret that. All right, so there you have it. Uh, thanks again to those of you that submitted questions. I'm sorry if I had to cut your question out. Um, I, I had to cut some of them out for time, but um, if there's anything else you want to hear about, don't hesitate to hit me up on social media. You know, I can't always get back to you instantly, but I try to be accessible and I, I try to help when I can. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. 
If you've enjoyed today's episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site. You're already buying on eBay anyway, and this works very similar to the Fanatics link in that you can go to www.tinyurl.com wmpod. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Um, it's a simple way to support the show. But if multiple people do that, it really helps me out. So once again, you can find that at www.tinyurl.com WMPod. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.